Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.13 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is March the 2nd, 2023. This is episode 681 of Bitcoin and I went on a hayride. I did. I went on a hayride. How the hell did that happen? Well, it wasn't exactly a hayride. Not not the way that, uh, you know, normie people uh, think of a hayride like it's a walk in a park. Nope, nope, nope. Um, I finally got to a point Lately, now that my house in in Texas is sold, things have settled down. I've been here, you know, in Eastern Washington for for a while. That I can, you know, start thinking about the bigger picture. And the bigger picture for me is being part or kind of part of the Beef Initiative, right? Now that's you know, this is this Texas Slim's deal. However. It needs to be nodal. It needs to be distributed. It needs to be decentralized. The, these are the types of things that, you know, Slim and I were talking about way back in the early, early days before he even, I think before even the Beef Initiative was a glimmer in his in his eye. Yeah, he had done the food intelligence thing. He had written he'd written his article, and then he started the Beef Initiative. But before I, you know, that even happened, me and him had been, you know, having coffee together in uh amarillo and canyon and uh you know it just you know he just sort of once he got his teeth into the beef initiative he he just ran with it and he's doing some really great things but the whole idea is to be decentralized and so the the mantra of go out and shake your rancher's hand so that you can secure good animal protein you know, that that resonates with a lot of Bitcoiners. It really does. And it certainly resonates with me because by the time I had even met Slim, I was knee deep into reading everything that I could about soil biology, pasture management, how yeah, why ruminals are so important on the land. And it's just ridiculous. So yesterday, you know, I I had, well, before that, in case you didn't know, or I hadn't, you know, you hadn't listened to one of the episodes I talked about it. One of the very first things that I did when I got out here was to join the Washington Cattlemen's Association as somebody who does not own any cattle. Yes, cattle associations do have that. Um, so you pay, like for me, I paid 50 bucks for, I think that's the year's membership dues. And I can go to the meetings. And, you know, it's not a, the meetings aren't in, they're not big, you know, not around, you know, not around these parts because ranchers are finding it hard to live here and work here and have their ranches here because of, well, Seattle, honestly, it's Seattle politics. But be that as it may, a couple of meetings in, I got to know a couple of ranchers fairly well. And at the last meeting, I said, look, it's, 
time that I, I want to come out. I want to see the operation. I'd been stalling on it and procrastinating on it. And yesterday I just got in the car after a nice fresh snowstorm and drove my happy ass like, I don't know, 27, 30 miles, some, you know, what, west and south of where I'm at, right on the Snake River, right above the Granite Dam. So there's this huge expanse of water that just, it snakes its way through the hills. And I think that's probably how Snake got its name. And it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. So I go out and I, you know, the, there's no cell phone service out there. So it's, you know, telling them I'm coming out uh, was a little bit difficult. And so they, you're not getting the message, but that's kind of okay because they told me, look, we're there every day. Here's where it is. And they gave me a map and all that thing. They're like, just come out. And I'm like, okay. So I did. I just went out and I went out to Ryan Brothers Cattle. And this operation is small. There are 350 to 400 head at any given time, depending on drought conditions. They are on some of the steepest hills that are, <laughs> that are, wow. I mean, it's, it's amazing how these ruminals can navigate these kinds of hillsides, which brings me to a point. They, these hills up here, a lot of the ranchers will use tractors to move hay to go feed cattle in times where things aren't growing. Like right now, you know, we're like just coming out of February and into March. There's not a whole hell of a lot of hay growing. There's not a whole lot of legumes growing. There's not a whole lot of pastures that are really doing anything because everything is what? Yeah, it's all in dormancy, right? So you got to truck the hay out there. I've got I've got theories about that from some of the things that I've seen other people do, but I'm not trying to bring anything to these guys. I, the mission is to go out and find out what these ranchers actually do. Not, oh, well, we grow cattle. Yeah, well, how? What, what's, the, what's the daily thing? And one of the daily things is they get a wagon and they hitch it to three horses because it takes three horses to haul this shit up this grade to where one of their feeding locations is. And they do do rotational grazing, right? But that's kind of like in the spring and summer and then getting into fall. And then in wintertime, they do have the, you know, they will put them in one single place. And it's, yeah, it is what it is. But we haul, so we, I get on this wagon and this thing is like... <laughs> This thing is cobbled together from like old truck parts. It, it is, it's amazing. It, it's, it looks like a piece of shit, except it's not. It's highly functional. It hauls hay and it's done the old, the old fashioned way. And what was explained to me was they do that so they don't have to beat the hell out of their tractors. And there's like, there's no reason to actually have to pay all the maintenance that it takes if you're just going to use a tractor plus the fuel. So they just use horses. So I get on this thing, they dump a, you know, a, a big old bale of, I think it's oat, you know, it was a oat cutting on this thing. And we went up there. I'm on this, I'm on this wagon next to, you know, next to my rancher buddy. And we crawl up this hill and these horses have one inch spikes on their shoes in order to get up this road and down this road and have enough traction because everything is, you know, especially yesterday, everything was really muddy. So we get up there, he cuts the lot, you know, the cords off the, the hay bale 
And next thing I know, I'm kicking leaves of hay off the side of this tractor or this, uh, this wagon. And it was, it was, while it was amazing for me, this is part of their everyday shit that they do. And it's just a 45 minutes it, it takes to do this stuff. Well, I, but while I'm talking to these guys that are up there with us and, you know, one of them's tagging ears and the other one's driving the wagon. And then I'm shoving hay off the side of this damn thing. You get this sense that this is, re- this is for some people, the only way that they can live, the only way they want to live on top of the hill, overlooking the snake river with a bunch of very calm cattle that are just chilling out. And amazingly enough, they had been they're in calving season right now. And two or three of them had been born the night before I was there. And they literally, they find them in the morning. They're like, Oh, look, we got another calf. Cause it's a cow calf operation. It's their own genetics. These guys are these guys are amazing about what they do and how they do it, even though that they're a small operation. But the real aha moment, because one of the reasons that I wanted, you know, one of the reasons that I've been wanting to do this is that what is it that I don't know that I don't know about this? Yeah, I've I've got a library of books about this shit that I've read, and some of them I've read twice. Even I know that's not enough. So we're we're we finished the hay feeding. We're coming down this hill. And I start I was looking at the hill and I, I'd asked the question, you know, I was like looking at, uh, at a uh, uh, rancher Ryan number one. I'm going to dispense with putting their first names out because I don't want to dox anybody. But in either event, <clears throat> I'm looking at this hill and I see what I think are game trails cutting across it. And he goes, no, 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 those, those, those are cattle tracks. And before I even get a chance to ask the question, he's like, you notice how the the cattle tracks are on contour with the hill. They're not going up the hill. They're not really going down the hill. You know, while they're grazing, they're moving across the hill, but they're doing it on contour. They, so what happens is that after a while, they make these, for lack of a better term, swales. They're micro swales. They're small, but they are indeed swales. And what is a swale? A swale is a ditch on contour. And why, why is that important or what does it do? When water falls off the hill and hits one of these terraces or microswales, it has a tendency to stop or at least slow down. And what that does is reduce erosion on the hill. And when you put this many cattle on there, there's many, many, very many of these tracks that are traversing on contour these hills. These hills are so steep that if you wanted to cut swales into them, the amount of money that you would spend plus the fact that you could die. I mean, the, if these, you know, getting a backhoe up there to actually cut a swale, you're not going to do that. There's not an operator in their right mind that would want to put a backhoe on this thing and try to do it. But cows, they just do it naturally. They don't require fuel except for food, which they're getting while they're walking. And they, they don't have to be instructed where to go. You don't have to teach them to cut a swale. They do it all by themselves. And after every book that I've read on this, after all the time that I've spent thinking about permaculture and regen ag and all this stuff with ruminals and, you know, the whole beef initiative thing, not one time has it ever been mentioned that on hill country, cattle will cut microswales which cause water to slow down 
and infiltrate into the hill, which causes moisture to be retained and decreases erosion. In that 45 minute trip, I learned something that I had never even thought possible. It, it was like one of those things that you don't know that you don't know. Now I know about it. And now that I know about it, I'm fast. I'm even more fascinated with this shit. And I'm even more fascinated with the problems that they were telling me with regulations and what they were being told to do. And all this stuff is for them. They've been like going, this really is getting bad. And it started getting that way about five years ago. And, you know, some of these, you know, one, a couple of the brothers, they're like, man, sometimes I wake up and I don't know if we're going to be able to do this shit anymore. And that, that's really sad. So I'm going to end it there, except I, I do want to cap it off at the end saying it's more important than ever for you to go out and get to meet your ranchers, find them. And if you don't know where they are, then join your state's cattle association because they're generally speaking, they will be broken up into the counties. Each county will have their own little sub meeting, find whatever county that you're in and then, or whatever state you're in, go find the cattlemen's association. And if you don't, if you have to call them, call them, they're ready to take your call and find out where the closest meeting to you is pay your 50 bucks or whatever it is that says that you don't have cattle if you don't have cattle and go to the meetings take the time out of your day because now i'm i'm more wealthier in my mind for meeting these gentlemen and yesterday going out to see their operation and i'm going to go out again because honestly i loved it it was great but if you don't know exactly what, you know, you, we can, I can lead you to any number of news stories that tells you about the plight of the cattlemen. And you're never going to understand it until you look into the face of one of the cattlemen and tell you, it, it, who's telling you that it began with a regulation that said they could, their cows couldn't be as close to the edge of the river as the tallest tree that fell down and the tip of the tree was in the river. I am not lying. That was a primary regulation for how to keep, how to tell these people how to keep their, their, you know, how far away from the river's edge they had to keep their cattle. The tallest tree. Could you tell me where the tallest tree is? I, what's, what, what do you mean by the tallest tree? The tallest tree in the area? It's like, you know, it's like, the 50 foot tree is it fit? So does that mean that 50 foot away from the river's edge is okay? And there was a bunch of, they were telling me about a bunch of broken promises made by the state of Washington. You know, it's like, well, Oh, our, and that was the la I'll let you off with this one. I looked at this guy and I said, are you telling me that the federal government lied to you about what they were going to do? And he's like, yeah. And I didn't have the heart to actually say, sounds a lot like we're now the new Native Americans. With that, let's get into this one. Jack Dorsey is in the news, specifically in the Bitcoin news out of Bitcoin Magazine. BTC Casey tells us all about it. Jack Dorsey's block releases UI teaser, user interface, seeks partners for highly anticipated self-custody Bitcoin wallet, Jack Dorsey's block has updated the Bitcoin community on the development of its self-custody Bitcoin wallet. The goal, according to the blog post, is 
to build a self-custody wallet designed to empower the next 100 million people to truly own and manage their money with Bitcoin. First introduced in 2022, the product principles indicate Block's desires to create a wallet that allows users to truly own and manage Bitcoin in a way that makes self-custody more accessible than ever before. <clears throat> Partners will seemingly be a major part of building the self-custody wallet through global and local partnerships with exchanges and on-off-ramp experts. We provide customers with ways to access a smooth, transparent buy and sell experience the blog post reads. Continuing on, it says, ultimately, helping them navigate between fiat and Bitcoin financial systems wherever they are in the world. Now, the post described the criteria for Block to partner with on and off-ramp firms, highlighting global and regional reach and depth, product experience, price transparency, customer onboarding, and trust, as well as transparency. Customer experience is also reiterated Per an image shared in the blog post, users will seemingly be able to choose between different partners with transparent pricing, be prompted to sign in or continue as a guest, and then seamlessly receive their Bitcoin into a self-custody wallet. Into a self-custody wallet. That's important. It's not custodial. It is your Bitcoin. It's not somebody else's Bitcoin with the promise that it's going to be your Bitcoin. No, no, no. It's self-custodial. Now, beyond these details, the blog post elucidates on retail and distribution partners and payment partnerships saying, in order to reach customers globally, we will build partnerships with companies who already have an established distribution network and ability to help our customers pay for the wallet with the most relevant local payment methods. In regards to effectively increasing Bitcoin's usage as a payment method, the post said that, quote, this could look like point of sale partnerships with seller and merchant services, payroll partnerships, and many other types of partnerships, end quote. The blog post concludes with a call for feedback, specifically asking for thoughts on if there are any criteria that should be adjusted or if there are specific companies that Block should consider partnering with. Uh, partner with Strike. Uh, even though that that's probably, you know, there's probably a little bit of competition there. But I, I, I honestly think that we need for right now in the very, you know, medium future, we need to dispense with that whole, oh, but there are competitors bullshit. No, we're not competitors with each other. We're all against fiat. And until fiat completely dies, then we need to remain friends and we need to be working together, even though traditionally we were taught that that's just bad, right? Competition is a sin. You know, I have a theory that that was said by the one of the richest people at the time that it was said. I can't remember who said it, or maybe it was Rockefeller, who knows? It doesn't matter. Competition is a sin. Maybe that was to dilute, you know, uh, get people to not think that it was possible to collude with each other and make things better. Maybe it was, uh, you know, flying the flag of don't come here. Don't even try. I don't think that competition is a sin at all. In fact, especially for us, I think it's actually going to be our greatest strength. Now, Hong Kong, their citizens are not interested in the digital yuan, according to reports. And David Atlee tells us more from Cointelegraph. 
the Chinese government central bank digital currency project has not sparked much enthusiasm among the citizens of Hong Kong in the first four days since the digital yuan, hard wallets became accessible to residents. Only 625 Hong Kongers have actually obtained them. As reported by the local newspaper on February the 28th, Shenzhen installed the machines dispensing the hard wallets for digital yuan, the first kind or first of a kind in the country. Due to the city's unique location as a gateway from Hong Kong to mainland China, the machines were programmed to serve the citizens of Hong Kong exclusively. The goal of the initiative, launched by the Bank of China and smart card provider Octopus Card, was to issue 50,000 hard wallets by March the 31st. However, in the first four days after the machine's installation, only 625 wallets were demanded by the customers. Even the 20% discount on purchases from 1,400 local vendors hasn't been a decisive factor for adoption. However, as the Shenzhen Securities Times highlights, the local authorities will continue to promote the digital wand for Hong Kong citizens, including the SIM card hard wallet, which would combine financial and communication functions. Oh, joy. The reason lies in a greater political mission to integrate the recently independent island city in the Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau, Greater Bay Area. Boy, that is a mouthful. The adoption of the ECNY, the CNBC, CD, CNBC, CBDC, although might as well be CNBC. The adoption of the CNBC, I'm having problems today, sorry guys, in the country is still low, despite the Bank of China's efforts. In October of 2022, two years after the CBDC's introduction to the market, cumulative ECNY transactions only crossed 100 billion won or $14 billion US. In February 2023, during the Lunar New Year period, multiple cities reportedly gave away 180 million won, 26.5 million USD, worth of CBDC in programs such as subsidies and consumption coupons to boost the adoption. Nobody wants this shit, right? Nobody Nobody wants this shit, which is exactly why China is going to force it on Hong Kong. Watch. I guarantee it'll happen. Now, oh, it is time for Boostagrams. Let's take a break and hear from our good friend, Patrick Ulrich with 5,000 Satoshis, who says, sent a dip from 679 to Hoddle Up Creator, and he really enjoyed it. Thank you. That helps the show. It's like make a clip and send it to one of your friends. You tell somebody else about it. Say, hey, you know, <clears throat> sometimes he... uh he gets a little off and he wears a tinfoil hat every once in a while, but he will tell you what's going on daily in Bitcoin. And if you don't want to read all the, the news articles that come out every single day, he'll do it for you. And this all helps in a five-star review on Apple, uh, I, the, 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 the iTunes store or whatever, where, wherever it is that you can rate this, those help. I, it, it just helps. Noster is the only thing right now that doesn't have an algorithm outside of the human mind. And that basically means, who do I want to follow? (laughs) It's like, if you want to follow a bunch of garbage, then your algorithm is going to give you a bunch of garbage. The algorithm's in your brain. But outside of Noster, everything else is run by an algorithm. And if you can't financially support the show, your time and your talent is always appreciated. And just if you take five minutes out of your day to send the, you know, make a clip and send it to somebody else, 
that helps. And I highly appreciate it. Now, Van Man Jr. with a 20,000 sap boost says, going to check out Noster. One question though, is the full experience available on iOS? I'm rarely on a desktop anymore, thank you. And two people have written back to it to reply to that boostagram. Uh, Bors Borson Golaber, if I'm butchering your name, dude, I am sorry. He says, yes, the Domus app is available on iOS. Nick underscore Dose likewise says, on iOS, you can download the Domus app. I think the PC clients have more features, but I only use Domus for now, and it's great. I'm going to be the third reply to Van Man Jr. Van, yes, Domus. Get it. And I think they just updated the iOS uh, version to where you can do zaps. Uh, I'm not sure about that if I'm wrong. I, I just saw that Domus got updated today, but I don't, I'm, I'm still using the test flight version because I wanted zaps. But I hear tell that they've pushed to the, to the Apple uh, App Store the, the new Domus that allows you to send zaps. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, let's see. Uh, Nick underscore dose says cheers with 1,369 sats. Ooh, nice. Usually he sends 369. Uh, this time he put a one in front of that and I appreciate it. Now getting back into the news, Zappo bank enables faster Bitcoin payments with the lightning network. Helen parts, coin telegraph, Zappo, Zappo bank and international private bank headquartered in Gibraltar, integrates the Lightning Network to improve its Bitcoin capabilities. Today, March 2nd, Zappo officially announced a partnership with the Lightning Network infrastructure platform, LightSpark, which allowed the firm to implement Lightning on its platform. The integration enables faster and cheaper transactions on Zappo, reducing blockchain confirmation waiting times and transaction fees on the original Bitcoin network. According to the firm, Zappo bank members will now be able to instantly pay for small purchases of up to $100 at any vendor accepting Lightning payments. High volume transactions are initially not supported with the integration. The new integration was introduced on February the 27th as part of a new update for Zappo Bank's app on the Apple App Store and the Google Store. According to the Zappo Bank CEO, Seamus Roca, Bitcoin's transaction confirmation can take up to one hour during periods of high usage, which makes BTC unsuitable for small daily payments like, you know, groceries. By integrating the Lightning Network, however, Zappo allows its customers to use or to pay using Bitcoin without having to convert it into the U.S. dollar, he said. Bitcoin average confirmation time has seen a huge spike in mid-February. I wonder why, amid a massive activity spike on the Bitcoin network with the mempool size reaching November 2022 levels. According to data from YCharts, BTC confirmation time hit nearly 600 minutes on February the 19th. Roca also noted that Bitcoin payments are especially crucial during times of hyperinflation, economic uncertainty, and political turmoil. Founded in 2013, God, they're old. Zappo operates a private bank as well as a Bitcoin custodian and wallet regulated by the Gibraltar Financial Services Commission. The company is known for combining traditional banking with crypto by offering USD and BTC accounts in one place. Zappo claims that 
at the peak of its Bitcoin custodianship, be careful there, the firm held more than 800,000 BTC or $18.7 billion in USD for family offices, funds, and high net worth individuals. Such an amount of Bitcoin is more than 4% of the entire number of all Bitcoin in circulation. I that's the end of the article. I, I have not vetted that shit for myself, but 800,000 BTC in pure custodianship gives me the willies. I don't care if they, Zappo is a Bitcoin bank. I don't care if they've integrated Lightning Network. What I care about is the fact that individuals collectively owning 800,000 BTC are not taking possession and keeping it in their own cold storage under their own private keys. I really don't like that, but I got jack shit to say about it. Luke Dash Jr. has something to say about a couple of other things, though. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey, Bitcoin Core developer Luke Dash Jr. doesn't want his name on ordinal projects. And I hate to tell Luke this. I don't think he's got any, he's not going to be able to do much about it. Not, that's not a jab at Luke. This is just reality. Okay, we've, we're not about to accept reality of the situation. We're not going to know how to navigate the future. And if we're all just pissed off all the time about anything anybody comes up with that has something to do with BTC and Bitcoin, it's just I, it's kind of a non, it's not that it's a non-starter. It's, I, I think it's a waste of energy, but we'll find out what Luke's bitch fest is right now. Prolific Bitcoin core developer Luke Dash Jr. has publicly declared his disavowalment of any ordinal project associated with his name. In a post on the decentralized social media platform Noster, Dash Jr., or I think some people just call it Dasher, clarified his involvement in the project saying, I have not consented to the use of my code or my name for this purpose. Instead, third parties are marketing my name and my code for their own monetary gain. This is interesting. Dash Jr. or Dasher also noted that the sellers of the NFTs have reached out to him in what he interprets as a bribe, writing that quote, the public should also be aware that the seller and or auction site offered me a donation of 90% of the auction proceeds should I choose to accept it. I feel this is a clear attempt to, one, bribe me into silence, and or two, obtain my consent after the fact. I will not accept such payment at the expense of the public who are being misled. I will not accept any such donation. The core developer has previously expressed his dislike and frustration with the Ordinal's project, calling it spam, as well as an attack on Bitcoin. Dasher expressed his strong desire for the proceeds of the purchases to be refunded to the buyer. He concluded with a message addressing both his situation and what he feels may impact other figures in the Bitcoin space saying, I felt obligated to speak out, not just for myself, but for other Bitcoin devs who are being placed in similar situations. The amount of money we have been offered as quote donations for acquiescing to what is taking place is considerable. I do not condone it. I do not consent to the use of my name or code for this grift. I want the public to be aware of where I stand. I want to do whatever I can. I want to do whatever I can do to limit the damage, which will inevitably be caused by this confusing and misleading behavior, end quote. The post may be a sign of necessary conversation 
in regards to rights of ownership and what is being uploaded to the Bitcoin blockchain via the Ordinals protocol. I fully agree with that, BTC Casey. If, if, if Luke had not come out, and like I said, Luke can't really do anything about it except for this. This is what he can do, but he can't stop Ordinals. And he certainly can't stop these assholes using his name and I don't know how they're using his code, but that's at that point, that's just straight up fucking theft. I'm sorry, but it is. It's just bad. I commend Luke for actually making the statement. At least we know where he stands. And since he's written it and it's been reposted and he got, you know, and he, what did he do this on Noster? Let's see, make sure he. Uh, do, 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 well, maybe he didn't. That was somebody else, I guess. Um, he's at least did it on Twitter. Okay. You know, so in either event, he's made a public statement and it's probably in there for perpetuity. So he doesn't have the option to flip flop. And if he does, the amount of shit that he's going to catch for it is going to be a reputation burn. And we all know, uh, your reputation in this space is the most flammable thing outside of a rag soaked in diesel. It just is. So he's set himself up to where he, he better stay on this path. And if he doesn't, he's going to get burned down. Now, continuing with the whole ordinals thing. And again, you may not like it and you may not want to hear it, but it's out there. And if we don't understand it, then we don't stand. Well, we have less of a, we have less of a, a ability to figure out what the hell to do. Right. Cause it's like the people are already talking about forking Bitcoin. I, honestly, I, I'm over it. You know, I, I am, I'm, I'm just over it, but this is what's going on. And if you don't understand what's going on, we have these people that are coming out and saying, well, but maybe it's good for Bitcoin. Let's see if Olga Ukolova writing for Bitcoin magazine can, I don't know, shed some light on it because she's writing our, our, our ordinals really good for Bitcoin. Uh, uh, this is obviously an opinion piece. <clears throat> From reading up on ordinal resources, you know, the handbook, one can see there is a pretty straightforward idea behind the concept. An idea with classical numismatic roots. If I have a rare coin and a Satoshi is indeed a rare coin as the supply is limited, then I want to store it for as long as possible, either for fun, for my personal collector pleasure and appreciation for the beauty of the coin, or for the purpose of passing it to future generations so that they can sell it at a higher price than I possibly ever could. If we add the concept of inscriptions to the idea, then we fall even deeper down a fascinating numismatic rabbit hole as coins that are minted in an extremely rare supply often eventually experience a huge increase in value and can serve a great philosophical purpose. Pausing here just to state that numismatic basically means coin collecting. It literally, if you're a coin collector, you're a numicist and you practice numicism and it's new. Uh, does the coin have numimistic value? That's what that word means. Anyway, as an example, we can see the history of the golden double eagle coin minted in 1933 in the United States, which is currently worth $18.9 million USD. I had no idea, making it one of the most valuable collectors, collectibles in the world. At first, the concept of minting such a coin was proposed by U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt 
and was an extremely seductive opportunity for designer Augustus St. Gaudens, who in 1905 wrote of the project, quote, I have long wished to do what little I could to improve the shameful condition of our money, but now that I have the opportunity, I approach it with fear and trembling. St. Gaudens got down to business, but little did he know that the child of his noble intention would be killed by a person carrying the same name as the one who planted the seed of inspiration into his hands and mind. In 1933, Franklin Delano Roosevelt took the country off of the gold standard, making the 445,000 gold coins illegal to own and ordering that they be gathered and melted down. For the double eagle piece, everything had been perfect from the standpoint of modern Bitcoin values. It was made of pure gold. It had unique inscriptions. The supply was extremely limited and, especially after it became illegal, there was an eagerness to own it. The coin even had a boating accident of its own as around 20 pieces disappeared before the total supply got, got destroyed. In the above mentioned context, ordinals and inscriptions make a lot of sense and follow a pretty old tradition. People have always collected things that were either beautiful, expensive, or hard to get, like stones, shells, gold pieces, minerals, animals, spices, clothing, etc. So what exactly is good about ordinals? Uh, this is going to be hard to read. One, for the person who loves Bitcoin as a collectible or can't afford to own a big fraction of it, it becomes a thing of huge value. Ordinals allow them to stamp some personal uniqueness and value of ownership to their own sats, at least until the internet providers, giants, tear them apart. I don't know where she's going with that part. Two, for collectors, numicists especially, ordinals bring a digital way of its own. Store and send the coins they deem valuable. And three, ordinals go hand in hand with one of Bitcoin's key traits, which is being a store of value. Moreover, if you have a unique Satoshi, you will hodl onto it for dear life. Uh, getting everything wrong here. But there are things which ordinals are lacking from both social and technical perspectives. In real life, collectibles as money love silence. If you have a 22 karat black diamond in your apartment, you can show it off to some of your peers every now and then, but you probably don't want a thug cartel from the neighborhood to know anything about it. This brings us the need of having privacy while operating and owning rare and expensive assets. As Bitcoin is pseudonymous, so are ordinals because they inherit the, inherit the properties of the time chain. They're totally dependent on it and do not introduce any additional ways to make your ownership over an asset private. Ordinals affect Bitcoin and add complexity and technical difficulties for many participants from miners to regular users. Bitcoin is not very scalable and it was not meant to serve as a file storage system that would cost users all of their fiat savings to make a single transaction. If I pay for my coffee, I don't want its cost to have an Ethereum-sized fee and to be mined after a week because someone decided to inscribe some sats with my heart will go on MP3 file for Valentine's Day. As a miner, I might not want to see JPEG garbage on my node and I don't want to validate it, thus I can delay acceptance of it for as long as possible. However noble the roots of ordinal, ordinals are, taking into account the current Bitcoin development landscape, we, again, <clears throat> find ourselves in the good old debate 2017 over block size and polluting or spamming the time chain. So many spears have been broken over this. That is that it is painfully hilarious to find ourselves boiling in this narrative again. 
I guess when it comes to collectibles, the block size debate can indeed last forever on Bitcoin. Also, inscriptions with JPEG or MP3s don't actually make a Satoshi that much more unique or bring a lot of additional value to it. Just as the marker doodles of a toddler do not make your apartment walls <laughs> those of the Louvre, we could continue further on with the flaws that the approach of ordinals and inscriptions have, but Bitcoin Twitter has been doing a great job for us over the past few weeks, so we'll humbly move on to the last chapter of this article. As described in the beginning of the article, the human need of creating owning and exchanging collectibles and art are more than valid. But ordinals and many other existing solutions that offer to address those needs can add more problems than they claim to solve. So let's play a game and imagine a perfect collectible. Think about the traits it should have and try to find a proper solution to meet the requirements. A perfect collectible is an object that has the following parameters. It has an owner. The first owner of a collectible is always its creator, which has the rights to change the art, add inscriptions to it, sell it, rent it out, etc. Ownership rights should be transferred from one owner to another with no ability to sell the collectible twice, also known as preventing the double spend, and with the ability to verify the uniqueness of that asset fully peer-to-peer -peer without appealing to any third party. Number two, asset ownership. <clears throat> must be private by default with an option to reveal the art and the author to the broad public. Why? First of all, we all know that artists have very tender souls and not all of them can accept criticism lightly, which can bring many unpleasant and massive consequences. Second of all, as described earlier, if I am creating a painting using rare and expensive materials, or if I own a rare piece of art, stone or metal, I don't want the whole world to know about it, as that might introduce attack vectors, both digital and physical, for me as an owner. And lastly, if a collectible gains value over time, it's better to keep it away from the public eye and reveal or sell it when the time is right and the value would be the biggest. Three, collectibles should not live on the Bitcoin time chain. They should not create any additional load, changes or debates on the main chain level neither for users, nor for miners, nor node runners. It should not affect the block size, nor inject huge amounts of irrelevant data into the blocks. Bitcoin at best must remain nothing more than a settlement layer for various operations that are being performed over an asset. All of the data, all of the knowledge of the asset's existence should be kept on the client side. Sounds like a nice fairy tale, doesn't it? Well, while some choose to dream about perfect solutions, we prefer making our dreams come true. We have built a protocol, Jesus, that meets all the above mentioned criteria, and that solution is called RGB. What is RGB? It's a smart contract and rights ownership system that helps collectors and artists to create valuable assets sell and buy them in a private and scalable manner with zero time chain footprint on Bitcoin with no added token. RGB takes the load off of the Bitcoin time chain by putting all of the data on the, of the asset on the client side using the concepts of client side validation and single use seals introduced by Peter Todd way back in the day. The same ideas enable peer-to-peer -peer verification of a collectible, 
without relying on any third parties or miners. It brings privacy to holders and creators by applying zero-knowledge cryptographic primitives such as bulletproofs. I haven't heard that one in a while. Thus, ensuring that no one will be able to hijack the transaction or genesis of an asset. Consequently, RGB does not affect the Bitcoin fee rate, thus preserving its market cost and avoiding all possible debates around it. To summarize, we can say that not all JPEGs are art or collectible, and not all collectibles are bad or harmful. It's often a matter of how to operate them. And in this regard, RGB is indeed really good for Bitcoin. RGB, really good for Bitcoin. Get it? That's RGB. Um, yeah, it's a bit of an advertisement for RGB, isn't it? But this brings up a good point. What, I mean, this, think of it this way. We've got this problem with ordinals and inscriptions. If you're a, B2, if you're a Bitcoin maxi, you don't like it. If, you're, if you've seen enough of the trials and tribulations and the bullshit and clown shows that have wrapped themselves around Bitcoin and then burned away with, you know, just as easily as the reputations of those who've wrapped it around Bitcoin, you get to where I'm at. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about ordinals. I've seen Bitcoin survive way worse than this, way worse. It's gonna survive this. However, think of RGB this way. It's an attack on ordinals. See how that works? So the free market will always develop somebody who's like, okay, what's the problem? Bitcoiners don't like ordinals on the blockchain. Okay, well, how do you solve that? You get the ordinals off the blockchain and then comes the real question. How? Soft fork? Hard fork? Or let the market come up with something that says, I'll tell you what, we'll do the same thing and we'll make everybody happier that we're doing it over here than they're doing it on the time chain. To me, RGB seems like one of the first, and it will not be the last, attacks on ordinals and inscriptions. And this is exactly where we want to be. And I don't mean with the existence of RGB or, or something else that comes out in the future, which I'm sure it will. I mean in an environment where we're starting to ask ourselves questions. What's the problem? What, what's the solution? And then building a solution that actually does that thing. We're, this is pure free market, you know? And honestly, even if this entire piece was just nothing but an advertisement for RGB, good, you guys go ahead. You guys go do that. If you think that your product is going to be sensational enough to make sure that nobody really wants to do ordinals on, you know, Bitcoin's time chain, then more power to you except you're gonna have a bad time, at least at first, because there's always gonna be somebody who's just a dick and they don't care about ordinals or inscriptions either. They just hate Bitcoin. And if it's possible to do it on Bitcoin, it will be done on Bitcoin. And that's where we have to really come in to being mature adults about the future. Without a hard fork, it's, you're not going to get inscriptions and ordinals off the time chain. And if there is a hard fork, it's another airdrop of Bitcoin that you are, ta you know, at this point, back in the day, everybody could get away with it. But now, 
too much IRS, too many IRS eyes are on this thing. And now airdrops are very much more dangerous as far as tax implications, at least in the United States and probably most of the Western world. You know, middle of Zimbabwe, probably not. I don't know. It just, it doesn't matter. The point is, even if you hard fork Bitcoin back to where it was pre-Segwit, and you'd have to, to get this shit off. And even then you can still write arbitrary stuff into op return. And you like, let's say you take op return out. Well, I, who, what would you do? Would you sell, would you sell the coins that you have right now, quote unquote Bitcoin, so that you could buy the hard fork coins? We've seen that before. What was his name? Roger Ver. Okay, I'm not saying you know, it's not saying that it's going to be exactly like that, but there there was a lesson there. He lost a lot of money, and he lost like unless he lied about it, he's lost almost all of his actual Bitcoin to buy in and start this BCH chain that hasn't done anybody anything at all except lose value over time. So we need to be very very careful here how we proceed. I personally would rather see small, you know, groups of people come together and code against ordinals by providing a sidecar that could offload the ordinals onto without causing a hard fork in Bitcoin. And if they can do that, then more power to them. But again, someone's always gonna be a dick and inscriptions and ordinals are possible on Bitcoin we have to grow up, put our big britches on and go out into the world and, and, and still be happy. Let's run the numbers. All right, CNBC, futures and commodities. I got West Texas Intermediate up scant by a quarter of a point. Uh, Brent North Sea is up even le- less, 0.14% to the upside, $84.43 a barrel on that. Natural gas is the one that's losing the most, 2.31% to the downside to $2.74 a barrel. Gasoline up a half point to $2.68. Shiny metal rocks are mostly down but mixed. Gold down 0.18% to $1,842. Silver is down Ooh, 0.62% to $20.96. Platinum is up a half point. Copper is down 2.2. Palladium is up scant 0.03. Ag, we got soybeans being the biggest winner today. 1.04% to the upside. Biggest loser is going to be chocolate. 1.87% to the down. We got Dow is up, oh, 0.6%. S&P is up 0.16. NASDAQ up a tenth of a point. And the S&P mini is the only loser, but it's down only 0.03. I got real money chilling out at $23,383.50. Uh, 463,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value, 1.33 BTC. Median transaction value, 0.01 BTC. That's the lowest I've seen in a long time. A long, long time. That's $238.50. Block time's kind of hideously low again, nine minutes and four seconds. We have 0.14 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 
and 22.7 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period with a 15.36% uptick in hash rate. We are at 357.9 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, zero, I keep doing that, it's eight United States pennies, ladies and gentlemen. So all of the uh, altcoins are not having a good day either, and I, as usual, always welcome that. $453.3 billion of market capitalization is 3.72% of gold's entire market cap. We may now only purchase... 12.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,306,088.6 of, and 5,419.5 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $127.2 million, being run over 16,241 nodes that we can see, sporting 76,140 payment channels that we can see, and 67.8% of all that's being run over Tor. We have, ooh, God, 28,578 transactions waiting on 56 blocks to clear, ladies and gentlemen. Clark Moody's dashboard still reflecting the minimum fee rate at one Satoshi per V-byte at 56 blocks. I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. I have no idea what you really need to actually put in there. If you do need to make transactions today, I highly recommend that you use mempool.space. That's M-E-M pool, like swimming pool, dot space, mempool.space, and go figure out what the fees are because I don't think you're getting anything in for one Satoshi per V-byte today. Anyway, that's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Australia announces CBDC pilot and a study for the electronic AUD. Oh, God. Andre Bagansky, decrypt.co. Australia drew one step closer Wednesday to potentially establishing a central bank digital currency as the Reserve Bank of Australia, RBA, announced an upcoming pilot phase for its digital version of the Australian dollar called the EAUD. In a joint announcement with Australia's Digital Finance Cooperative Research Centre, the RBA says it invited a small number of companies to help explore 14 use cases for the EAUD. Australian dollar, asking firms like ANZ and MasterCard to participate in the program. The use cases range from facilitating offline payments to tokenized invoices for businesses and even livestock auctions. Quote, the pilot and broader research study that will be conducted in parallel will serve two ends. It will contribute to hands-on learning by industry, and it will add to policymakers' understanding of how a CBDC could potentially benefit the Australian financial system and economy, the RBA's assistant governor, Brad Jones, stated. Another company included in the announcement was Digital Canvas, a layer two network built on top of Ethereum that uses zero knowledge rollups to facilitate transactions. The network was built in conjunction with the Israeli-based firm Starkware, and by using Circle's USDC stablecoin and the EAUD, Canvas has been invited to pilot the settlement of foreign exchange transactions. Quote, we see that there are huge benefits in using CBDCs. Spoiler, 
there aren't, and digital currencies like USDC and foreign exchanges trading and international remittances, Canvas Digital co-founder and CEO David Lavecki told Decrypt. Zero-knowledge rollups and ZK rollups are a method for increasing the efficiency of an underlying network. In this case, Ethereum. <laughs> Have fun staying poor. Reducing settlement times and transaction costs by processing transactions on a separate blockchain and then bundling them together before they are sent back to the underlying network. The technology uses zero-knowledge proofs, a concept in cryptography that allows transactions to be verified without disclosing the details associated with them. This enables financial institutions to maintain a level of privacy that they currently have when conducting sales on foreign exchange markets, betting on the direction of nations' currencies as they fluctuate in value. Quote, when you're doing a foreign currency exchange, it's not visible on Etherscan for everyone, Lavecki said, referencing the blockchain explorer that's used for analyzing data on shitcoin number one. Quote, so, you get all the benefits of a public blockchain and none of the drawbacks around privacy, end quote. Pausing to say Ethereum has never been nor never nor will it ever be a public blockchain. It just isn't. It is a private blockchain. The public is allowed to use it so that they can get your money. Let's be very clear about that. Starkware co-founder and president Eli Ben Sasson told Decrypt that piloting the use cases outlined in the RBA's announcement could show people new digital currencies aren't empty hype and have functions that fit into normal lives. <clears throat> Quote, just a few years ago, the idea of roll-ups was highly theoretical. Now they're playing parts in projects like this, Ben Sasson said. These are exciting times. CBDCs are similar to stablecoins in the sense that they are digital currencies that are pegged yeah, to the dollar or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Over 10 countries have launched a CBDC so far, and 89 countries are either piloting, developing, or researching a CBDC, according to the American think tank Atlantic Council's website. Last month, Japan announced that it will do the same. Jones commented about the increased pressure countries have faced within the past two years to establish a CBDC, including the United States as countries like China hone the technology and steadily roll it out. Quote, I have absolutely detected a shift in the last 18 months or so, growing support, particularly in Congress, behind the idea that the primacy of the United States dollar and its role in the international finance system could be at risk if all the others race ahead and the United States sits behind, he said in a speech published Wednesday on the RBA's, RBA's site. <clears throat> Jones pointed out that CBDCs have the capacity to make payments across borders more efficient, reducing the cost associated with transactions and increase the speed with which they can be settled. Quote, it still costs on average around 5% to send your money abroad in Australia. And those transactions can take a couple of days to settle, which is clearly unsatisfactory, Jones said. The RBA has been doing research on CBDCs for a number of years, Jones explained, and previously provided the industry with a blank digital canvas to come up with their own proposals on how a CBDC could be leveraged. He said, quote, we don't want to be so intellectually arrogant as to think we have all the answers here. 
<laughs> quote, end quote. Another aspect of the RBA's pilot program is that the A or the EAUD is a real digital claim on the Reserve Bank and not just an exercise being conducted in a sort of abstract sandbox, Jones said, alluding to some experiments involving CBDCs that have taken place in New York. In the United States, the Federal Reserve has explored the concept of issuing its own tokenized dollar for years, publishing research on the topic as early as 2016, and the San Francisco Federal Reserve recently posted job listings related to development of CBDCs, seeking individuals that could help the United States Central Bank design and develop a digital version of the United States dollar. However, not every lawmaker is on the same page. Republican House Majority Whip Tom Emmer reintroduced legislation last month that would ban the Federal Reserve from issuing a CBDC, an advancement he claimed would amount to be stripping Americans of their right to financial privacy. Okay, so I want to get back up here to this one. <clears throat> the RBA's announcement could show people new digital currencies aren't empty hype and have functions that fit into people's normal lives. Everything after that, that I read in this article, was essentially revisiting the same argument in 2015. I, I got into Bitcoin in 2015, so I can't speak to anything before that. But from 2015 to 2017, it was altcoin season. Our coin is faster. We can do more transactions, yada, yada, yada. We have a use case. We promise we have a use case. We, we need to exist because we have a use case and all your use cases are worthless. Bitcoin does all of this. And I'm not saying that it's going to stop CBDCs. No, no, no. Quite the opposite. They're coming. They will be issued. It will be up to you as to whether or not you're going to not only one, decide to resist it, and two, to figure out a way that you can continue to exist and still resist it. The only answer is Bitcoin. It's possible in my mind that CBDCs and the rise of the digital currencies from central banks will actually infuriate the world's population to the point that adoption of Bitcoin is actually forced I would rather that not happen. I don't want to force anybody to do anything. But as we already saw in Hong Kong, nobody cares. Nobody cares. They want 50,000 people to, to, down, to get that wallet out of a machine, that hardware wallet out of a machine, and 625 have done it. Nobody else cares. So China will force them into a CBDC, and that by its very action may compress the populace and force them into actual Bitcoin. It may, in, in, the, in the minds of these people at central banks, they can just force their population to use it. But the problem is there's an escape valve, as Janet Yellen said. And if there's an escape valve or an escape hatch, people are going to use it. That's from your own Secretary of Treasury, ladies and gentlemen. If Actually, that's not Secretary Yellen. That was the, oh, Christine Lagarde. It was Chris, that, that's who it was. It was Christine Lagarde that said that, said that if people have an escape hatch, they will use it. CBDCs are coming and it's going to cause a pressure front and it's going to force people that don't want to use it. And by and large, nobody wants to use the e-Naira. It's clear that nobody, in, at least in Hong Kong, wants to use the 
CBDC from Central Bank of uh, People's Central Bank or whatever of China. They don't want it. And if they don't want it, that means there's a barrier between the pressures that are building on the outside and we have an escape hatch. What will that do? That forces the water through the escape hatch. We are the water. I'm already there. I'm already in the pipe five by five and have been here since the you know mid of 2015. I, I welcome I welcome our uh, CBDC overlords because they're just going to put more people into Bitcoin. That's the way that I see that one. Now, oh, do we want to do this one? Where are we at? We do not want to do this one. Not today. We'll do it later. Uh, oh, Coinbase. Here's the Coinbase news in case you're seeing, wondering what the hell's going on. Prashant Jha writes it for Cointelegraph. Coinbase is no longer accepting payments via Silvergate Bank. Cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase announced that it has terminated its partnership with Silvergate Bank as its United States dollar banking partner, citing an ongoing investigation. In a tweet, the exchange said, quote, in light of recent developments and out of an abundance of caution, Coinbase is no longer accepting or initiating payments to or from Silvergate Bank, end quote. The crypto exchange will facilitate institutional client cash transactions for its prime customers with its other banking partner, Signature Bank. The stocks of Silvergate Bank, which were already under stress due to a delay in filing its annual 10K report, dropped another 40% in pre-market trading. Silvergate Capital was also downgraded to underweight from neutral by JP Morgan in light of the insolvency scare. Wow, they're hovering, let's see, it was chilling out at 14 bucks a share and it looks now like it's down to just over nine bucks a share, yikes. A 10K report is a document required by the SEC that provides a comprehensive overview of a company's business and financial condition. The crypto bank said it would need an additional two weeks to complete the report for the 2022 fiscal year. The decision will not impact payment instructions in pounds or euros. Troubles for the finance, for, sorry, troubles for the fintech bank began alongside the downfall of guess guess who? FTX Crypto Exchange, Silvergate Bank, also popularly known as the Crypto Bank, for its slew of crypto partners, is currently facing an investigation from the United States Department of Justice over its involvement in said FTX collapse. The investigation revolves around former FTX CEO Bankman Fried's account with the bank. In another civil lawsuit, Silvergate Bank and its CEO Alan Lane were accused of aiding and abetting a multi-billion dollar fraud orchestrated by Sam Bankman Fried and two of his entities, FTX and Alameda Research. In light of the ongoing investigation and termination of partnerships, Silvergate became one of the most Sorry, Silvergate became one of the most shorted stocks in the current market. Over 72% of Silvergate capital stock was shorted by the end of January, according to the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. Silvergate's in a lot of trouble. And they were in a lot of trouble. And now they have really screwed up by asking for a delay in the filing of that document. I have my first reaction, my gut feeling was this. They can't release that document because, because it's going to confirm exactly what the Department of Justice is alleging against them, that they are indeed so connected at the hip to Alameda, 
FTX, Sam Bankman Fried, and a whole bunch of other scumbags, that they are going to go down. There, people might even go to jail. Fines are certainly going to be levied. Silvergate Bank is done. It could be shorted into the ground to the point that somebody actually buys up a whole bunch of the stock. It files for bankruptcy. They go through bankruptcy procedures. It gets restructured. Maybe somebody gets put in at the helm that decides maybe we shouldn't work with grifters and charlatans and maybe they build it back up into something that actually makes sense. But the Silvergate that we've always known, it just died. It just died. It just died. And again, Silvergate was one of the only banks that you could bank with as a quote unquote crypto company for, well, since 20, whenever they started, 2016 or whatever it was. They've been around for a very, very long time and they just died. Let that sink in. Uh, Jack Dorsey's uh, TBD announces a new Bitcoin lightning service provider called C equals. I think that's what it actually means because it's capital C with an equal sign behind it. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey. TBD, a Bitcoin focused subsidiary of Jack Dorsey's block has announced a new lightning network business called C equals. The purpose of the company is to quote, provide infrastructure using Bitcoin from blocks treasury to make Bitcoin's lightning network more usable and reliable for developers, business, uh, and those businesses in consumers, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin magazine. The release explains that the lightning network is still growing and that transactions often fail due to liquidity shortfalls. In order to address that, C equals will build infrastructure using the Bitcoin it is committing to the network so that businesses and wallets can make their lightning transactions more reliable and dependable. Quote, operating a node on the Lightning Network is all about connections. C equals provides node operators, whether Bitcoin wallets, individuals, that would be me, or other entities that want to use the Lightning Network with valuable connections to Lightning, describes the announcement. Quote, through C equals LSP, any business or individual running a Lightning node can gain efficiencies and make their transactions via Lightning with minimal effort and investment without having to rely on an intermediary to custody their Bitcoin, end quote. For Lightning node operators, C equals states that it will provide liquidity to enable transactions and collaborate with developers to provide more efficient routing and liquidity to node operators via APIs and services, end quote. In 2022, when Square was renamed to Block, TBD's lead, Mike Brock, explained how TBD's mission is to bridge the old to the new. We are building a new open source company from the ground up, focused on open protocols and open standards that all participants in the economy can benefit from. And since then, the company has explored Bitcoin-based decentralized web services in various capacities, including decentralized identifiers, decentralized web nodes, and more. With this new entrance to Bitcoin's second layer scaling protocol, TBD will now have a major presence in Lightning infrastructure. Quote, the Lightning Network is the future of Bitcoin transactions, but it's still new and it can be hard to get liquidity where you need it to send and receive your, your payments, said Nick Slaney, lead over at C equals. Quote, we're excited to use the Bitcoin in our treasury to grow the Lightning Network and our company in a mutually beneficial way, he told Bitcoin Magazine. 
C equals will be able available for connections immediately for those seeking to operate a lightning node and benefit from TBD and blocks infrastructure. So it looks like TBD and Jack Dorsey is putting their Bitcoin where their mouth is. They're going to use it to provide liquidity on the Bitcoin network or the, sorry, on the lightning network. And they're going to do it in a way that allows people to grab, you know, I guess channels or full nodes or whatever, but they're using uh, their own BTC to provide that liquidity. That is skin in the game. That's putting it on the line. That's taking your Bitcoin and putting it into lightning channels, which means you're going to pay a mining fee to get it in. And when you ever close that channel, you're going to pay a mining fee to get it back out. Because at that point, the in and the out of the lightning network is in fact exactly where you end up having to be on the main chain, right? You, t- you have to pay a minor fee because you got to do a block, you know, an actual Bitcoin transaction, a main chain transaction to get your Bitcoin over to the Lightning Network. And then when you want to close a channel, that automatically comes back, which means you have another Bitcoin transaction. So every Lightning channel always represents at least two full Bitcoin on-chain transactions. And both of those will incur mining fees. So they're going to lock their Bitcoin up into the Lightning Network and they're going to pay fees to do that. And when they start closing channels and opening new channels, every one of those is going to cause two, in fact, two Bitcoin main chain transaction and and the associated fees. I call that skin in the game. But this just reminded me that for anybody that is even, you know, if any Lightning Network developers or somebody who knows a developer is listening to this show, please, please, for the love of God, please. Give me a tool to automate my liquidity, my my lightning channels, ingoing or inbound and outbound um, balances. My, My inbound from other nodes, I can't do anything about that. And that's fine. But my outbound, the, the, the light, the Satoshis that I keep on my lightning node that I do have control over, I want to be able to rebalance my channels and right now, and for as long as I've been a node operator, it's a pain in the ass. I need a set of rules that I can give to my lightning node that says, look, I put a hundred thousand sats into, I put a hundred, let's say I just put a hundred sats in this channel. I, that's way, that's too low, but let's just keep it easy. If for whatever reason, that channel gets under 50 Satoshis on my side, then you need to automatically go and search out another one of my channels that has liquidity again on my side and transfer enough Satoshis to the low channel to balance it back out. Maybe not all the way up to 100, but maybe to 90 Satoshis or 90% or 80%. See, that's why I'm using 100. Is like, if I get to a point, like a rule that says, if I, any of my channels, if you ever see it get, to 10% of what was initially put in there, then I need you to go and rebalance my channels. And I need and I need a, a little button that just does that. It just like back in the background, it's just automate that shit. And then I can give it another rule that says, if and only if my fees are under some, you know, some amount, not main chain fees. There are fees when I'm doing circular loops and stuff like that. I won't get into it, but there are some fees that are incurred when you're still in the Lightning Network 
And especially in rebalancing, you know, those fees, depending on what's going on and how you're rebalancing, because some of the rebalancing can take a main chain. If you need to get liquid, if you need to put more Bitcoin into your channels to do that, that's, that's an actual transaction on the Bitcoin main chain. But if you can rebalance in an automated fashion, given a set of rules for my Lightning Network to balance the inbound, my, my outbound liquidity channels, please, for the love of God, work on that. It's great to offer yet another Lightning Network service and provide liquidity. What I really need is a balancing tool for my outbound liquidity. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Thursday joke time. Dad says jokes. Two antennas got married. The wedding was okay, but the reception was incredible. That's not bad. It's not bad. All right. So uh, we got Jack Dorsey in the game doubling down. We got like a wallet stuff coming out and then the whole liquidity provider for lightning. This is all good. We got Silvergate going down and that, you know, that's sad, but they got into bed with the people that were going to bring them down, which leads me to the thought of the day. Don't go to stupid places with stupid people and do stupid things. If you follow that, those three things, you're never going to get hurt. I mean, you'd have to get, you'd have to be out in the middle of a field with nobody else and get hit by a meteorite. Otherwise, if you do stupid things with stupid people in stupid places, you're going to get hurt. It's always going to happen. Don't do it. Uh, last words about my uh, experience yesterday over at the ranching place. That's why uh, I didn't bring a show to you. So if you were wondering, it's like, well, God dang it, he did it again. He he didn't do a show again. So that's why I was actually out doing some some real field research, which I tracked in on my boots. I always wondered why every, you know, store around here, like all the Walmarts and all the stuff, big old display of muck boots. And I was like, you know, there's probably a reason that they have them up here in Eastern Washington. I should probably get a pair of muck boots. I should have bought a pair of muck boots because I tracked horse and cow shit into my car, which meant that I have to go shampoo my floor or, uh, Oh, uh, floor mats, or at least my driver's side floor mat. I literally had to pull it out of the car so it didn't smell like the ass end of a horse. But other than that, that experience, I recommend to everybody. And one of the things that I asked these guys, I'll leave you with this one. I asked them all, because <clears throat> I talked to them all individually and sometimes in groups of two, and because I was out there for, you know, a few hours, was, I go, when was the last time somebody asked you if they could come out and see your operation. And they're like, they don't. And the people that do come out don't want to see the operation. They want to yell at us. They want to tell us how we're destroying the environment. They want to tell us how we're, we're bad for the environment, how we produce carbon and it's going to kill us all. And we're all to blame. And they are still, these guys, I've met most of them at least twice. I've met half of them at least three times. And one of them I had never met before until, until yesterday. Right, and, and I want them to be this way for right now. 
they are still a little bit standoffish. They are still a little bit standoffish. That means that I got to earn their respect. I got to earn their trust, you know, and I got to safe. And once I have that trust, I got to safeguard it. It's just like, it's just like a Bitcoiner. Your reputation is so flammable that you have to be extraordinarily careful about what you do, what you engage in, all that kind of stuff. I have to be the same with these guys and every other rancher I meet because the, the only people that want to come up and engage with them, and this has been going on for you know enough years that this is all they hear, is how they suck. How would you feel that? How would you feel if what you did for your livelihood was under attack from every group under the sun and only one person in five years has come out because they actually like what these guys do? How would you feel about that? How would you feel about your life? I mean, how much do you think you could take before you start wondering if maybe they're right? Now, these guys don't believe that for a second, but others might. I mean, how could you not if five years of being basically attacked, could you not go, God, you know, this is maybe what I'm doing is wrong. I do want you to think about that because it's important for these people to understand that there are people like me, there's people like you that are out there and that we do love what they do. But it's going to be time. It's now time. It's well past time. It is definitely now the time to go show these guys some love. Go find your state's Cattlemen's Association. Join it. Pay the dues. Unless they're stupid. If you don't have any cows and they want 500 bucks a year, piss off. Figure out a different way. But I don't think that that's going to be the case. You ain't got no cattle or horses or livestock you're going to pay the the least amount, but you, you'll be a non-voting member and that's fine, but you'll still be able to go to the meetings and you'll be able to hear what they're saying and listen to what they're saying and then talk to them, shake their hands, look them in the eye, do all the things, and then figure out a way to go buy beef off of them. Because these guys that I went to, that's what they do. They're a private sale. They sell quarters, halves, and holes. They, you know, we, we talked a lot about slaughtering and kill dates and all kinds of stuff. And that's one of the reasons why they do private kills. They just, they're just done with the whole Carville, J&B and the other two Packers that are in the United States, none of which have headquarters in the United States. None of them are United States-based companies as far as I can tell. All their shit's in Brazil or somewhere else. It doesn't matter. Take the time. Show the proof of work. Pay the, d- the dues to the Cattlemen's Association and start going to a couple of their meetings. All of that actually is proof of work because you can never get that time back. You can never get that money back, which represented your time in the first place. But what you will never be able to get rid of is the real sense of what these guys are going through. How they are being attacked, how they are seen as evil, how they, all, all they want to do is, is run cattle and most of them, all the or all the ones that I've met, all of them are concerned with land comfort, conservation, and they're using their cattle not only as a means of income, but as a means to improve pasture. And they're part of their pasture management. They're not just putting cows out just to have cows so that they can kill them. They're actually using them in the way that they were meant to be used. With that, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon.
Have a great day.